Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. church family. Today we are completing our four-week series called Healing Fractured Relationships. And as always, you can access our messages at cotnaz.org. Watch front slash listen online. Over the last three weeks, we have focused on relationships with friends, family members, church family, our spouse, co-workers, and any close relationship. Week one, conflict. We learned that conflict is mandatory for growth and health of relationships. Although we probably do not like conflict, it can actually be healthy. Week two, betrayal. We learned that when we feel betrayed, we should focus on what is right and what is godly rather than on revenge that is so easy to pursue. Week three, rejection. We learned that those who walk in faith will always experience rejection by people over the course of our lives. But we must take heart in the fact that we will not be rejected by the Lord, the one who matters most. Today, I'm going to focus on two cousins who attack our relationships, mistrust and suspicion. I'd especially like to read Psalm 146, 3 through nine in the message translation. Don't put your life in the hands of experts who know nothing of life, of salvation life. Mere humans don't have what it takes. When they die, their projects die with them. Instead, get help from the God of Jacob. Put your hope in God and know real blessing. God made sky and soil, sea and all the fish in it. He always does what he says. He defends the wrong. He feeds the hungry. God frees prisoners. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up the fallen. God loves good people, protects strangers, takes the side of orphans and widows, but makes short work 
of the wicked. God's promise is for you and for me. God is trustworthy. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you are faithful. Please give me, God, give us the grace to feel secure in you enough that we are able to extend trust in our human relationships. Lord, by your grace in our pain, please help us to live as ambassadors of reconciliation. Please help us to give you our mistrust and suspicion and to point others to you for trust in their situations in life. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The most important commandment Jesus gave to us is to love God and love others. That's Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Healthy relationships are so important that God didn't just suggest we treat others well. He commanded it. There are many relationships we experience during the journey of life. In each relationship, we must always decide whether we're going to be the real person with our hair down, revealing the true self, or the facade, the person that you want them to see and to know. You know exactly what I mean, right? I mean, why do you think it is so hard to reveal your true self? Someone wrote, trust is a fragile thing, hard to earn, easy to lose. I venture to say that everyone in this room has experienced some sort of mistrust and suspicion in their life. And I'm confident to say, if you have not, then at some point along your journey, you will. The challenge is this. We were meant to love. And if you won't trust another, you can't love them with a holy love. Please turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. The scripture will also be on the screen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing.
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth closely to what's next. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You may be seated. Love always trusts. Paul describes just how useless and even destructive spiritual gifts are when we're, you know, doing them from outside of the standpoint of love. The speaking of tongues, prophetic powers, and supernatural spiritual knowledge may be impressive, but they are worthless if not used as intended by God. Out of a heart of love for him and love for others. So for a minute, think about what motivates you. What is the reason you do something? I mean, that matters. That matters to God. Even the most spiritual activities, the selling of everything we have to give to the poor means nothing if not given in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 is often what we hear at both religious and non-religious weddings. However, Paul is describing the love that Jesus has for us and that he desires for us to have for others. Paul's letter was written to the first century church in the city of Corinth and to all believers today, not just for individuals getting ready to get married. It was thought that Paul wrote this letter about 53 to 54 AD at Ephesus. Corinth was very much like a modern urban area containing unending opportunities to engage in sinful behavior. Maybe the Las Vegas or the New Orleans of the Roman Empire. Paul was intimately familiar with the church and many of its congregants, and there were problems in the church. He had founded this church, and it was experiencing deep divisions that required immediate action. The church was experiencing arguments, pride and competition among members, sexual immorality, lawsuits among members, divorces, division, ingratitude, disrespect, the right use of spiritual gifts, and disunity. All ingredients for mistrust and suspicion to be born. Rather than turn a blind eye to the relational division, 
and broken relationships, Paul addressed the problems head on. He wrote this letter so they would turn from sin and become a true dwelling place for God's spirit and stay faithful to the gospel. In this series, we've been intentional in saying that relationships matter to God. And he desires for fractured relationships to be healed. The most important thing I will say today is that our trust must first and foremost be in the Lord. Only God is truly and ultimately trustworthy. We should first say, God, I trust in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 describes agape love. You may ask, what is agape love? Agape love is unconditional love, a self-sacrificing godly love for all people. The world in which we live clearly has negative influences on us that contribute to mistrust and suspicion. Trust is a key component of any healthy agape relationship. Let's watch a video about agape love. If you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day it was a cousin language of Hebrew that is Aramaic in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. 
Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. This trust happens when trust is broken, or when conflict isn't handled properly, or when we feel betrayed or rejected by another. Mistrust, in a broader term, can be a symptom of an underlying sin, such as jealousy, envy, or fear, which are toxic for relationships. Anxious feelings can cause jealousy and envy which breeds suspicion and mistrust, which can snowball into pretty intense emotions and behaviors. At one time or another, we have probably all felt feelings associated to jealousy. Why did my friend invite everybody to the party except me? Or why, you know, did my best friend confide in that person and not me? Or does my boss think everybody else is better than me? These feelings are real. We can become preoccupied with the fear of betrayal. The fear can motivate us in such a way that our thoughts, you know, begin to cause us to do things, to check up on our friend, to constantly try to catch them. We may become possessive 
of that person. Jealousy is the emotion we feel when we're fearful of losing someone or a relationship that is very important to us. Jealousy is often used somewhat interchangeably with the word envy. Signs you're experiencing envy. You're happy when someone has a setback. You refuse to celebrate another person's success. You judge others negatively. Mistrust and suspicion can cause a person to experience tremendous anxiety and resentment, which can cause us to put up a wall between ourselves, our friend, or others. We can all agree that people tell white lies. Some examples. I'm listening. You know they're not listening because they're texting. They're trying to carry on the conversation. I'm listening. You know they're not listening. I'm fine. Husbands, you know this is a lie when your wife says it with a special tone, a special look. Fine. Traffic is crazy. You use this line frequently, and people have come to know that you arrive late to places. You didn't leave your place until 20 minutes before you were supposed to be somewhere that you know takes you 45 minutes to get there. While we can easily accept the response, I'm listening or I'm fine. Hearing the words, the traffic was crazy. When used over and over, your family, your friends, and your employer become suspicious, and they think, likely, story. When someone you trust breaks a promise or fabricates the facts, or tells you a bold-faced lie, then you experience mistrust and suspicion. We might withdraw from those close to us and feel quite lonely. The mistrust or suspicion you feel may be completely justified. However, if you have mistrust or suspicion, it will harm your relationship and it will hurt you. Think about this. Jesus had the perfect reason not to trust Peter because Peter betrayed him. However, what did Jesus teach? Jesus taught us to lay down mistrust and to take steps toward building trust in the relationship. And not only did Jesus teach this, he lived it. Trust issues can be a heavy burden to bear, affecting not only our relationships, but also our overall being. Mistrust implies a genuine doubt based upon suspicion. 
We're living in a time when people are disgusted by the state of society. Our trust in leaders has plummeted. Suspicion of a financial crisis is at an all-time high. I mean, has there ever been a time when there has been so little trust? The concept of mistrust is a real symptom or result of the fractures we have experienced because of conflict, betrayal, and rejection. Paul's instructions to believers then and to you and me today is not to retreat from the world or the people we know. Instead, he directed us to live out our commitment to Christ ever more faithfully in the midst of non-believers, pre-Christians. We're to think the best of others and possess hope for others in Christ. All things are possible with God. Paul expects for us to be light and shine in a dark world. And as believers, we should be unified in our church, accountable to each other. Now let me tell you a personal story about a friend that I have known for 16 years. I met her while I was living at the Tannery Apartments before Thomas and I got married. She was just out of prison. Her crime was assault and battery for knifing somebody. There are many details of this friendship that I must admit because of time. Advance forward four years. Thomas and I are married. And my friend calls me at work and says her cars broke down and asks me, can I give her a ride? I pick up my friend and on my way home, I need to stop at mom's as I was mom's primary caregiver. I left the car running to keep my friend warm and I had gotten gas that night and I left my credit card in the cup holder. After giving mom her meds, her eye drops, I take my friend home, not realizing my credit card is missing. So you know, I go on home, go to bed, get up the next morning, and I realize I need to go get my credit card. Go downstairs, and the credit card is not there. It's missing. So immediately, what do I do? I, I know what I got to do is I got to call the bank. I call the bank to see, you know, has my card been used by anybody? And sure enough, somebody had been using my credit card. Well, I put a stop on the card, and I say, like, where have they been using it? My card's been used at the Elton 7-Eleven. <laughs> Thomas and I drove to the 7-Eleven store. I want to see the store manager. I share that I'm a pastor. And I believe the person I had given a ride home that night, the night before, you know, had stolen my credit card. Now, I told the store manager that I was ministering to this person and I didn't want to file a police report. However, I asked to see the store video surveillance film to know if my suspicion was correct. Yes, 
to my suspicion, my friend, the person, my friend, had taken my card. She had used my card at the 7-Eleven store. I immediately told my sweet husband, we're going to her home, and we're going to talk with her about what she did. Thomas asked, are you crazy? <laughs> Y'all can hear and say that, right? She was in prison for knifing someone, and you want to go to her house and tell her that she stole your credit card? Exactly. <laughs> I wanted to confront the conflict head on. I wanted to tell her, I love you. If you need something, ask me for it. Don't take it without asking. She had a boyfriend that she was living with, a very nice man. Thomas and I were friends with both of them. We arrived at their home, and they invited us in to visit. We talked, and we talked, and the subject just never came up. Thomas, he thought we were going to leave without saying anything. Well, that wasn't the case. My mission was to address the problem, no matter how difficult it was. I remember saying to her, I have something really difficult to say. I care about you. I love you. And I want to pray for you and our friendship before I tell you what I have to say. Well, let me tell you, Thomas just sunk down on the couch. Because he, I mean, he knew what was coming. We prayed together, and afterwards I told her that my credit card was missing. And I asked her, do you have anything that you'd like to tell me? She said, I wonder what happened to it. I shared that I had viewed the store surveillance video and I knew who had taken it and who had used it. She asked me, do you know the person? <laughs> I told her, yes, it was you, she told me. I can't believe you would say that about me. You've hurt my feelings. I can't believe you would accuse me of such a thing. I told her that I knew it was her. I'd stopped the credit card, so don't try to use it again. And if she ever needed something in the future, to please ask me. Don't take something that belongs to me. And I told her she had truly hurt my feelings by stealing from me. She still denied taking the card. 
four of us prayed together before we departed. I looked her straight into her eyes. I hugged her, and I told her, I love you. I know that it was you, and I'm still going to be your friend. Got in the car. My sweet Thomas says, well, what do you think you accomplished by that? (laughs) He also wanted to inform me she could have knifed both of us. And we would have been found dead the next morning. Advance forward. My friend has moved to Hampton, Virginia. We have stayed in communication by phone and visiting one another in person. She invited us to her wedding in Hampton, and we attended. When we go to Assateague Island, we visit my friend face-to-face, or we call on the phone and we talk with her and say we're passing through. My friend's mom recently died, and she called and shared with me. My friend is clean from drugs and no longer abusing alcohol. She's searching for Jesus. She feels close to him when we visit, and I pray for her and her family. I am trusting and expecting God to work the miracle of salvation in my friend's life. God gave me the ability to agape love my friend when she hurt me so bad. God is worthy of our praise and of all our trust. As we let go and let God have control of every area of our life, he begins to empower us to love others in the sense of agape love. Ask yourself, what can you do within your family, friends, your co-workers, and church to make this kind of community more of a reality. Apostle Paul says to you and to me and to all believers, if we speak in tongues, speak prophecies, understand all mysteries and knowledge, have faith to move mountains and cast out demons, but have no love in our heart, then we have Nothing. As followers of Christ, we are to imitate the love of Jesus by using our gifts while serving and loving others just as he did. I'm not saying that you should trust everyone that happens into your life. But what I am saying is that you cannot love the way God loves, without trust. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7 says, Love is patient 
love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It also always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let me close with seven tips to building trusting relationships. One, love is patient. Now, what does it mean to say love is patient? It suggests that love doesn't give up on people or situations when they become challenging or testing. Two, be kind to all people. Three, use your words to represent Jesus well. Four, control your temper. Five, forgive. Six, rejoice with others. Seven, trust God in all situations. Let us pray. Dear Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for loving us while we were still sinners. Please fill us, God. Fill me with your love. Help me to be patient and kind, not jealous or boastful, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on my way, not irritable or resentful. Help me, help us to put our trust in you. Please search me and point out where change is needed. May our response of sin against another be given to you today in humility. Please transform my heart so that my desires are your desires for me. Help us, Lord Jesus, to fix our eyes on you and not the evil in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.